A couple months ago, uh, my family and I, we went to Disney World um, in Florida. We were on vacation, and uh, our youngest kids had, had never been to Disney at all, like any Disney, Disneyland, Disney World. And so um, we decided to take them to Disney World. At one point, my daughter, we're close to Space Mountain, if you've been on Space Mountain, right? So I, knew we're, I know we're going to Space Mountain. So um, as you're walking through these long tunnels, right, you, this message is going over and over again. Like if, if you have heart problems, if you're over a certain age, you know, and I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be getting on this ride. Anyway, you know how this works if you've been on these rides, right? You eventually get to this little thing where these bars are, and they're, it's like you and the ride. It's like there's a bar, the bar's going down, and when the bar comes down, the, little, the car slides up, the bar comes down, you get in, and you take off, right? So it was like the bar, there you are, you know you're next. And it's ready or not, here we go. Ready or not, we're going. Well, as we come to Joshua chapter 1, the second half tonight, Joshua comes to the children of Israel. God has just given them this command, told Joshua it was time to go. And he comes to the children of Israel as if to say, ready or not, here we go. Here we go. And so tonight as we look at these eight, verses. We're talking about, as we go through this series, Joshua is a book about taking the hill. That's what this book is about. They're going in and they're taking possession of what God had promised to the nation, what God had originally promised to Abraham and to his seed. It had been 40 years since they had left Egypt, 40 years earlier at Kadesh Barnea, Um, The people knew the will of God. They knew that God had given them the land. God was telling them, go in and take the land. And you'll remember what happened. The people refused to go in. They listened to the, the the report of the ten spies, the negative report, and they gave in to their fears, you know. It just, it was like that car coming up. And I was like, oh no, I'm checking out. I'm... The the fear kicked in. Too many obstacles. Too many giants. It was too risky. And so they focused on the problems 40 years earlier rather than than focusing on the promises of God and, and rather than obeying God, rather than simply stepping out by faith and do what God was calling them to do, they made the safe choice. The safe choice. At least in their mind, that was the safe choice. Don't go in, don't cross the Jordan, don't go in and do battle with all these armed, walled cities and these giants. It's safer just to stay in the wilderness. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. They were trying to avoid death by taking the hill, and they died in the wilderness. Instead, you know, the older we get, the older we get, There's this danger that we're going to get set in our ways. 
40 years have gone by in the wilderness, right? So now the, the 20 and youngers, now they're pushing 60. I mean, Joshua and Caleb are 80 years old at this point, 82 years old or something, right? And, and the, the danger is, is that the older we get, the more set in our ways we become, almost like what you might call a sanctified obstructionist, you know? But it doesn't have to happen. Joshua and Caleb were the oldest guys in the entire nation. And yet they were excited. They, they were men of faith. They were enthusiastic about taking the hill. And so it, it isn't a matter of age, church. It's a matter of faith. And that's what they're dealing with here. The majority of the people who began the journey with them did not get into the land. They died in the wilderness. And it's unfortunate. But it's true that sometimes some ministries, the only way for them to go forward is by conducting a few funerals. And it was, it was, it was hundreds of thousands of funerals that were conducted during those 40 years in the wilderness. Well, now God has given them again the green light. It is up to the new generation to believe God and to conquer the land, to take the hill. And look what it says. God has just, in last week's message, we saw God's message to Joshua. And in verse number 10, look what it says. Look at the first word. Then. Joshua heard what God said. And then, and the idea there is promptness. Like as soon as Joshua heard what God said, at that moment, right away, promptly, then Joshua begins to move. It's like David who said, I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands in Psalm 119. You see, Joshua, remember, had seen the promised land. He was one of the 12 spies. He saw it. He went in and he saw the land of milk and honey, right? He saw the fertile soil. He, he saw the potential. He saw everything that God had prepared for them. And I can imagine that for 40 years, wandering through the, the wilderness, man, he had to dream of what he had seen over and over again and just excited, anticipating the day when God would give them the green light and they could finally go in and take the hill. And you know, when we're driven by vision, we don't get stuck on the way things are today. We, we see, we know how things can be in the future. And I think that's what kept Joshua going and excited through 40 years of the, of the wilderness, man. He, he saw what God had for them and he anticipated the day this day, when they would be able to begin mobilizing and going into the land. And so Joshua, he uses his faith to inspire and he embeds God's promise with the vision. He says in this in verse 11, look what he says. Go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves. For within three days, you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving to you to inherit. You see, you see how he embedded the promise in the vision, right? God's promised this to us. God's given us the hill. It's a gift from God. Now is the time to go in and take it. Notice the word take in verse 11. 
What does that tell us? It means it required some action on their part. God had given them the land, but they had to cross the Jordan and go take it, right? It wasn't the sovereignty of God. It wasn't that, you know, they could sit back and, and, you know, sometimes we say things like, you know, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. You know what? If my wife had that attitude about making dinner, you know what I mean? Like, well, if we're going to eat dinner, if, if, if that's what's going to happen, it'll just happen. No. You got to plan. You got to prepare. You got to go down to the store and buy some groceries. You got you to get the, pa- the pots and the pans out, right? You got to get the spice. You got to, there's something that has to be done. And that's what we have going on here. God had given the, them the land, but they couldn't sit on that side of Jordan and just wait for it to come to them. They had to go take it. They had to go possess it. And so the correct picture here is not that God does everything and we do nothing or God does 50% and we do 50%. I think the correct picture is God does it all and we do it all. Does that make sense? God does everything that he's going to do and everything he, he's willing to do, everything that, that, that he needs to do on our behalf, but he expects us to do our part. If we do nothing, church, listen, if we do nothing, nothing will happen. Nothing. If we don't talk to our neighbor about Christ, well, I don't know. It, look, if I'm not obedient, to the Lord and do what God calls me to do. Could God do it some other way? Maybe, but I'll never see it, right? I, we're to be obedient to doing what God calls us to do. And so Joshua knows what he's supposed to do. Now it's time to act. The officers needed to act. The people needed to act. They need to organize the people. Ready or not, here we go. Ready or not, here we go. And so let's see from our text tonight three things that need, that we need, three things that are needed to be ready to take the hill, all right? The first thing that's needed to be ready to take the hill is preparation. If you look in verses 10 and 11, there we, I just read them. But right in the middle of those verses, Joshua says, get ready. Get ready. Literally, it is, Prepare, make preparations. A journey lay ahead, battles lay ahead, right? Cities to conquer, giants to slay, lands to claim. And Joshua just simply says, hey, guys, we have to get ready. Look how much time he gives the people to prepare. Do you see it there? Look for it in the verse. It's three days, three days. They had been wandering around for 40 years, right? And now they have three days. Isn't that how it seems sometime in life? Sometimes most of life is just kind of mundane. You get up, you go to work, right? You talk with the Lord on the way to work and you you try to walk with the Lord during work and love your neighbor as yourself and be a light and you know, salt in the, in the community, the people you're around, right? But, but you know, you, you look at the Bible and you read about all these characters and, and it's amazing how many times 
It's like you read a sentence and you're like, you know what just happened? 40 years just went by. Whew. Like, okay. What happened during those 40 years of that guy's life? Just a whole lot of nothing. Just a whole lot of living life. That's how it is most days. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's time. It's time to take the hill. And God's like, okay, now. And Joshua says, we have three days to prepare. Now, I'm married. I can tell you, there had to be someone in the crowd saying, that's not enough time. Right? Have you ever heard that, guys? Right? What do you mean we're leaving in 15 minutes? That's not, that's, that's not enough time. Right? Three days, that's all they had, but they had to move. Ready or not, here we go. And so what does he say? He says, get provisions ready. Now notice something. This is interesting. I find it interesting what Joshua does not say to get ready. What does he not say? I mean, what are they getting ready to do? If you knew that you were going to face seven kings, seven nations, seven armies, right? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, hey, guys, go sharpen the knives, right? Get your spears. Make sure they're pointy, right? Make sure, you're, make sure all your armor, make sure it's all intact, right? Make sure you prepare the armor, prepare the ammunition. Nope. It's not what he says. Something else that Joshua doesn't tell them to prepare is a bridge or a fleet of boats. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. This is, in, this is in late spring. This is the season when the Jordan River floods. I read this in the news um, that 2018, 18 kids died in the Jordan River because there's flash flooding. I mean, we know what that's like around here. We see it on the news, right? Flash floods come through. Same kind of thing, man. That, the river can just swell and flood. And so, you know, maybe some boats would be good. Joshua doesn't say anything about boats. You think maybe Joshua remembered what God did at the Red Sea? I think so. I think he figured that if God's saying, cross the Jordan and go take the land, that God had some kind of a a trick up his sleeve, some plan to part the Jordan River. He did it before at the Red Sea. He can do it again. And so Joshua, nothing about boats, nothing about bridges, nothing about uh, getting your armor ready. I mean, they were going to need that. But, but it's, he, what does he simply say? He simply says, get provisions ready. Literally, just get your food ready. You see, Joshua isn't second-guessing God here. He's not reminding God that this is the worst time to be crossing the Jordan River. Bad timing, Lord. Maybe we should wait till it's a better, a better season, right? A better season to go take the hill. Listen, God's timing is always the right timing. It always is. We've seen that, haven't we, church? Haven't we? We've seen it. We, we've seen that God's timing is always the best timing. It's always perfect. You know, there are times when I've thought, man, that's really bad timing. I thought that. I mean, is it ideal to go into a building program when there's a cost and supply problem and, you know, 
all prices have been elevated over the last several years. I, I don't, that, does that concern anybody at all? I mean, something keeps me up awake a couple nights a week. I, once in a while, I'm thinking about, hey, Lord, please, you got to, you got to get the prices down, right? Pray with us about that. But, but God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. When God says go, then it's time to go. You know, I, as I have, as I've been a part of this process that, that we've been a part of as a church, is God telling us to go? Is God telling us that, that yeah, this is the time to go take the hill? Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you what weight looks like. I know what weight looks like. Weight, we've seen weight for a long time. We've seen no happen. We've seen God close doors repeatedly. You know, this, nope, 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 wait, 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 wait. We, we've seen that over and over again over the last many years. But here's what I can tell you. Since about February or March of this year, something changed. Something changed. And, and I could sense it, that, that, that God, was, God was doing something different, that, that this was, that the weight, the, the light had turned from red to yellow to green, that God was pushing us, that God was opening the door. And it wasn't like we were trying to kick any doors open. We haven't kicked any doors open. But as God has opened doors, it seems that God is giving us the green light, that he's saying now is the time and time is short, right? And that's what's going on here. So Joshua says, get the provisions ready. And what is that? That's, that's what you need for an army, right? I mean, more important, I guess, than the then the shields would be the food, right? I mean, isn't that how we are, guys? I mean, if we're hungry, just kill me. You know, shoot me. <laughs> I'm starving. No, that's not how it is. But, but you follow, right? They need food. They need nourishment. Well, up to this time, what have the children of Israel been eating? Manna, right? For 40 years, God was providing for them Manna. It was raining down from heaven, right? I mean, they, every day they had something to eat. They could go out, they could pick it up. Every day they had to go out and pick it up, except for the Sabbath day. And that's how God sustained them through their wilderness wanderings. But now that's changing. And the plan was never for the children of Israel to eat manna forever. That wasn't the plan. That was a temporary thing that God had provided for them. And there are times when the people got sick and tired of it. Right? Have you ever eaten like the same type of food over and over and over again? When my wife and I were youngly married in our first couple of years, some, some of our friends, they had this thing where they would eat the same meal on, on like Monday, it was always the same meal and Tuesday and Wednesday, right? And one of those, one of those days we had lasagna. How many of you like lasagna? The problem was we couldn't, we were just a young couple at the we couldn't eat a whole lasagna. So not only did we have it on, I think it was Wednesdays, but we also had it for leftovers on Thursdays. And after a while, I was like, I can't can't eat lasagna anymore, please. No more lasagna. It got to the point where we went, I think a couple years where we, in fact, I don't remember the last time we ate lasagna, to be honest. 
But here they are eating manna for all of these years, and it's time to transition. And, and there's a spiritual aspect to this. That, that manna was meant for a time and a season, but now like the, what Paul describes as the milk, that transition from the milk to the meat. I think what, what we see here is that this need for nourishment, and we understand this as we prepare to take the hill. Man, there has to be this nourishment this provision, the spiritual food that we are continually consuming in our own lives for strength in the battle. Amen? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? We need to make sure that we are spiritually nourished along the way. We can't go in our own strength. We can't fight the battles in our own power. We, we can't expect for yesterday's blessings and, and yesterday's nourishment to last through today and through tomorrow. We must, church, we must be spiritually nourished day in and day out by the word of God, spiritual food. In fact, Paul called manna in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 spiritual food. He said they all ate spiritual food. It was, a, it was given to them as a means of, of God's grace to his people. But it was a type of the spiritual nourishment that God provides for his people. Jesus said, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that lasts for eternal life. Do we, do we spend most of our life, life fixated on putting food on our plate? And yet, our spirit, our soul starves. Are you with me? As we take the hill, church, there's going to be battles. The enemy's going to fight. If we don't make provisions, if we don't get ready each and every day, putting on our spiritual armor, taking the word of God, having our sword with us, being spiritually nourished each and every day, Man, we're going to get weak along the way. And there's a good chance that, that we fall somewhere on the battlefield. Spiritual battle requires us to be spiritually nourished. And so taking the hill requires the right kind of preparation. Secondly, secondly taking the hill requires unification. Look at verse 12. Joshua says to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land. Your wives, dependents, and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you. And they too possess the land, the land your God is given to them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of Jordan. What's, what's all that about? Well, crossing the Jordan presented this challenge that it would become a divisive, the Jordan River would become a dividing line 
in the nation. And what had happened and what he's alluding to here when he talks about Moses and speaking to these two and a half tribes. If you go back in numbers, what you find is that the, these two and a half tribes, they, they wanted to stay on that side of the Jordan River. The, the land was good for their livestock and they had an abundance of livestock. And so they were like, hey, we just want to like make pens for our sheep and settle down here. We don't, we don't want to cross the Jordan River. Can you just give us our inheritance here? And what Moses said to them at the time was, you guys are being just like your fathers that are dying in the wilderness here. Like he called them a brood of sinners. Go back and read. It's like, you brood of sinners. What, what are you doing? What, we're crossing the Jordan. What do you mean? What, what do you think you're doing here? And, and they said, well, listen, here's what we'll do. We promise that when it's time to cross the Jordan, we will cross the Jordan. We will stay unified as a nation. We will cross together. We will help you conquer the, the promised land. And then after you have rest, after the inheritance has been attained, the promised land has been attained, all the enemies have been conquered, then we will come back across Jordan to our wives and our children and our cattle and we will rest. And so... What's going on here is Joshua wants to make sure that the nation remains unified. That as they cross the Jordan, they would go together. Why? Because disunity would threaten the mission. It would threaten the mission. It would, Moses talked about it, numbers, like this would discourage the other tribes. This would discourage them. If you're not going to, if you're not going to come along and fight with us, it would discourage them. And they may just give up and turn back and not go in and take the promised land. And so Joshua was afraid. He was trying to avoid, rather, he was trying to avoid disunity because disunity would threaten the entire Mission. So he commands them in these verses to come alongside of one another, to fight together, and to help one another. It was no time for defecting. Every man was needed for the battle. They needed to stay together and work together. And church, this is the great thing that God wants for his church. God desires unity for this church and for any church. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4. It's up on the screen. He urged the church in, in Ephesus that with all humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love, that they would make, verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. You know, the, the late Adrian Rogers, some of you know who that was, preacher, Adrian Rogers. He used to say this. He used to say, the devil would rather start a church fuss than sell a barrel of whiskey or, or, or open a porno palace any day. Think about that. He'd rather start a church fuss than any vice that you could think of open it up in the community, he would rather start a fuss inside of this room among us. 
And so the Bible says, how delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible says, the Lord hates the one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. So church, as we go to take the hill, we must make unity a goal. We must protect, we must make every effort to remain unified. Now, unity is more, first of all, than unison, right? It's more than unison. We're not all alike. Thank God, right? You, you wouldn't want to be like me. I, I'm kind of weird about some things. But we can be brothers without being twin brothers, right? It's not, we're not talking about unity is more than unison. Unity is more than union, right? You can be a member of a church and not be in unity with the body uh, of the church, right? You can take two cats, you can tie, tie their tails together, and you can throw them over a rail. And they will be in union, but they will not, they will not be hanging there in unity, right? So it's not unison, it's not union, and it's not, it's more than uniformity. Look, we're not trying to get everybody to walk in lockstep together. We're not, we're not saying, hey, we all have to dress the same and look the same and smell the same and eat the same and, and do everything the same. It, that's not what we're saying. That's not what, what it means to have unity. It's more than that. What is it? How does it happen? Paul tells us what it takes here. What does it take? Look, at, look back at that verse. It's on the screen there. He says, with all humility, with all humility. If we're going to have unity as a church as we move forward to take the hell, we're going we're gonna to each need a healthy dose of humility. Just lowliness of mind. Just esteeming others as better than ourself. Arrogance always leads to strife, Proverbs 13, 10 says. You can't have a church fuss without pride. Have you ever been a part of a church fuss? Anybody? Right? You know how it works. Right? Somebody gets mad or or a few people get mad and and tempers start to flare perhaps. and, And man, it's just pride can get in there. And man, you can just take a beautiful thing and you can, you can cause such division. We must, we must have humility. Gentleness, gentleness is meekness. It's next there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Gentleness is meekness. It's the opposite of self-assertion and rudeness or, or harshness. Secular writers in Bible times use the word to describe tamed animals. Okay? A, a tamed horse is a powerful animal, but, it, but when it's completely obedient to the tug of the master on the reins, that, that pictures what it means to be gentle. And that's what we're to be, church, with one another. I encourage us to be, to, to be humble and to be gentle with one another. It also requires patience. That's the, the spirit that never gives up. That's long-suffering. That is, that is enduring trouble even through the hardest of times, the, the worst adversities, just continuing to put up with one another. That forbearance is putting up. It's the practical outworking of patience. Church, this is what, this is the, we need these, 
these character attributes in our lives if we are going to stay unified as we go to take the hill? How many churches have gotten into a fuss over, I was reading about one this week, that, that they were remodeling the church sanctuary. Let's see. They needed a larger welcome center, so they were remodeling, and they decided that they were going to have to move the wall to get more welcome uh, space out in the foyer. And in doing so, they had to move chairs, which were pews. And then the big debate came, are we going to have chairs or pews? And literally, I mean, just in something that started out to welcome people just became a big church fuss. You know, some, some forbearance, some humility, some patience and gentleness would have gone a long way. And, I, and you know, I'm just, I'll just say it. I'm really thankful that we have such a pleasant spirit in our church. We haven't had a church fuss in a long time, long time. Yeah, let's keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's such a, a good spirit in the church. And I, I, as, as your pastor, I, I want to say I appreciate that. And I know that, that, that we work hard at that. You work hard at that. So let's be gentle and humble and forbear one another in love, it says there, right? Love, love. Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. How has God loved us? That's how we are to love one another. You think about the love of God, it's unmerited, right? It's not based on performance. God's love is uh, unconditional. He loved us when we were at our worst, right? That's how we're to love one another, unconditionally. God's love is unselfish. He laid down his life for us. That's how we're to love one one another. His love is unchanging. He loves us to mu- as much today as he did in eternity past. He loves us just the same. That is how you and I, how we are to love one another just as we have been loved. And Jesus went on to stay, say in John 13, he said that it's by this, by your love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Church, It's our love for one another that will tell our community that we truly are disciples of Jesus. So let's guard it. Can we? Can we guard our unity? Can we we guard the spirit that we have within our church? And so I have a couple, I think I have three three ways to guard unity here. Just write them down quickly. I'll just mention them and I have to move on. Number one, always seek peace. Always seek peace. And I see this in what, what Joshua says there in verses 12 through 15. Because Joshua says, he, re, he says, hey, remember what Moses commanded you. Remember what Moses commanded. Moses was making sure that when this moment came, there would be peace among the tribes. He was seeking peace. He wanted to get out ahead of it, stop anything from happening early. He was seeking peace. Peace, and that is what we are to do. Let's always seek peace in all of our relationships. If there's a disagreement somewhere, seek peace in that disagreement. Secondly, always strive to be helpful. And that's what he tells these two and a half tribes. Hey, your soldiers, they have to cross over and they have to help. Be helpful. If we will have the attitude of helping one another 
and just always be looking for how we can help one another, how we can help in ministry, wherever there's a need, wherever we see an, a need that we just have that heart and attitude that, hey, I'm here to help. I, what do you need? I'll help. We have that kind of an attitude, man. It will go a long way to guarding the unity. The third idea there is to stay engaged. And he tells them there, um, I guess it's in verse 15, that they were to help until the Lord would give the brothers rest. In other words, man, be in it for the long haul. Stay at it. Stay at it. Stay engaged. Stay helpful all the way through the battles. So church, preparation, unification. And the third one here is dedication. We find it in verses 16 through 18. Let's read it. And they answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses Look what they say here. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey uh, your words in all you command him will be put to death. Goodness. Above all, be strong and courageous. So what are they doing? They are committing themselves to take the hill. Right? They are fully dedicated to God's call. We will do. We will go. We will obey. Some of you guys were in the military. You know how important it is in the military for soldiers to obey their commanding officer, right? What are they saying here? When, when you look at the text, they believe that God, right? They, 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 they believe that God has called them to do this and they are simply committing them to what they believed Joshua had received from the Lord right? This isn't blind obedience to a guy. This is understanding that God was calling them to do something, that God was giving them the green light and that they were going to together go in and take and possess the land. So they're making a really big commitment. Think about the commitment that is what Jesus calls us to. Too many times I think we're like the disciples in Luke chapter nine. Remember this? Jesus says, follow me. And they say, hey, let me go, let me go bury my father first. Let, let me go take care. Twice, two disciples say, me first. I, ha- I have my business to do. Let me take care of what I need to do. And here, what Jesus then says to them Basically, Jesus says, well, goodbye then. The truth is, church, that we as God's people, we must commit ourselves to Christ fully, completely, right? That is the commitment. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. We are to, to give ourselves wholly and completely our bodies, a living sacrifice to the Lord. Are you that committed to Jesus? Are you that committed to Jesus? These guys, they were committed. They knew that God had called them and they were committed to doing what God had called them to do. They were certain that God would be with them. 
and they actually put their lives on the line. And at the end, they just simply say, now, Joshua, be strong and courageous. They're patting them on the back. They're saying, sir, now you go out and you do what God has called you to do. And we're with you on that. And what I say to our church tonight is, church, let's do this together. Amen? Let's do this together. I am so encouraged as I've been meeting with, with, with guys in the church, talking with people in the church. I am so encouraged by what I hear from you. What I hear from you. At what you sense that God is doing and, and where your heart is as a part of this church. And what I hear is that I believe God is calling us to do this. Let's do this. Let's do it right. And let's do this together. So church tonight, are you ready? Are you ready? Ready or not, here we go. Ready or not, here we go. So what do we do? Well, we ready ourselves with preparation. Right? All of our preparations will be fruitless if we do not prioritize the spiritual nourishment of our own souls. We prepare our souls each and every day. We prepare our mind. Our mind is to be renewed day in and day out. We also ready with unification. We take the hill together. Divided, we fall. And then we ready ourselves with dedication. We fully commit. We fully engage. We fully follow God's leading. Amen? And so, church, together... Let's continue to take the hill.